It's about to go down with Mark and Kathy, a live coaching show about dropping ideas. Mark and Kathy coach and have conversations with brilliant idea creators who are reimagining the world through the expression of their words, thoughts, and actions. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Mark Williams. And I'm Kathy Ermias. We are super excited today because if you're thinking like, ooh, I'm in this weird world and like, what is going to happen? So many high tech things going on. I don't even know this new AI. Steve Brown is the guy that we have on our show today. And he is an expert in all things AI. He's got 30 years in the high tech world and AI. Uh, he worked for Intel, DeepMind. He is an AI futurist. And get this. He speaks on this all the time, Mark. He's a fabulous speaker. He has spoken in over 60 cities, 15 countries, and six continents. They're, we're just going after that one continent. We're, we're going. We're going for the penguins. Steve Brown, welcome to our show, my friend. Thank you, Kathy. Nice to see you. Nice to meet you, Mark, for the first time. Good to be here. Steve, I am, you know, you and I, we we met each other because we were both part of a uh, mastermind group for speakers and all yeah. of us speakers have all of our different things that we speak on, but our commonality was that we um, all are using speaking as part of our business model. And I think, Steve, when you first came to our group, even back in the day, <laughs> which is so funny to think. Five years ago could be back in the day for technology, Mark. Isn't that wild? Because we weren't having conversations about AI, AI back then. But Steve, one of the things that you really bought, brought to our group was um, how industries will start to change because of technology. So please give us a little bit of background on that and welcome to our show. Thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, five years ago, it seems like so long ago and I had a full head of hair then, of course. No. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it's... A lot has changed in that time, and a lot has changed in just the last year. And as a futurist, it was my job when I worked at Intel, I was a futurist there. When I was at DeepMind, uh, I ran their marketing, communications, and public affairs teams, but I also was their in-house futurist. It was my job in both of those positions to think about the world five and ten years ahead. So it's sort of the way my brain works. And certainly I, I've been able to see for a while that artificial intelligence, um, along with another set of technologies and blockchain and instead of things and virtual reality and augmented reality, they were all going to come together to change the way that humans interact with information and also interact with each other. And that that was going to be a disruptive change. It's happened even more quickly than I imagined. Um, and when I was working at DeepMind, I'm surrounded by what, 1300 uh, AI experts and even they were taken aback by the pace of change and just amazed by how quickly things were going. And so, yeah, it's happening very quickly. And the impact is that you know, if, if you wind this forward another five years, we could be, and it's 2023 now as we record this, uh, by 2028, I was just listening to a video recording of Jensen Huang, who's the CEO of NVIDIA, the big chip company. Um, talking at the, the DealBook event in New York. And his guess is that by 2028, we will have artificial general intelligence, AGI, which is an AI that is as capable at nearly all tasks, all tasks, uh, as a human being is. So five years from now, things are going to look very different than they do today. And that's both scary for people and incredibly exciting. Wow. You know... It's so interesting that you said exciting and yet scary. Because mm -hmm. I think that's the scary word is 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 the big word here, right? Um, as much as we evolve as a people, as a society, as a humanity, uh -huh. um, we know that change happens, but we're very afraid of it. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. What What has been the biggest from from your perspective, what has been the biggest fear of AI? For me, um, I'm, I'm a bit tired of hearing people talk about Terminator. A fabulous movie, really enjoyed it, but um, I'm not worried about that. I'm not worried about 
you know, machines stomping on skulls and taking over the world and Skynet. Um, you know, outside chance, let's call it, but that's not what I worry about. Mm. Um, in the in the short term, my biggest worry is AI is an incredible scaler. So on the positive side of the equation, that's going to allow us to scale up education, uh, medical and scientific research, other breakthroughs. Uh, on the downside, it's going to scale up the bad actors as well. So what that means is misinformation, disinformation at scale, personalized, um, personalized phishing attacks, uh, ransomware attacks that sound like your daughter calling you in panic um, and needing help, you know, which are just tuned to really hit every part of your of your psyche and make you do things you wouldn't otherwise do. Um, you know, just there's lots of really bad actor stuff coming and cyber attacks being another one of them. So those are the things I worry about in the short term. In the long term, and when I say long term, I'm talking uh, a period of time when AI is able to pretty much do every job there is. And we all essentially go through forced retirement um, mm. and we all, have to, we all get to live that life of leisure that we 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 heard about in movies in the 70s, frankly. Um, <laughs> you know, we're going to have to completely reimagine and rewire society and the economy. And then we have to figure out what to do with our lives. And I, I my worry there is that people's sense of identity, their uh, sense of agency in the world, uh, how they create meaning in their lives will be challenging for some people and that we will have to we'll have to help people to make that change make that navigation into you know what what do you what would you do if you didn't have to work mm. Mm. that is such a big question like you're right steve that really hits for most people work takes mm. up the biggest part of their week what's the first thing you talk about at a cocktail party oh hello what do you do Right? It's, right. it's part of how we define ourselves mm. uh, as, as well as you know, the, the football team you support or what your hobbies might be. That kind of defines you. But a big part of it is what you do for work. Mm. That is a that's a crazy world. Mark, go ahead. You look like you were going to say something. You see cogs turning. Yeah. Yeah. I, you can yeah. see it. <laughs> you know what, Steve, because there are people in this world, we all know this to be true who worked a nine to five. And yes, that is, that is their identity. But if you ask them, um, what would you do if you didn't have to work? They'd say, hallelujah. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's what they would say. I don't know if that's what they would ultimately right. mean, right? Yeah. But there are people who are doing their passionate work, their purposeful work. Yeah, and they will keep and, doing it. Yeah. Right? And there's, there's a fear that what if you can't do that? That makes me very scared. That makes me very scared. When I think about the work that Kathy and I get to do all the time, whether speaking or coaching, training, the work you're doing because you're in this world, like, what if? Yeah, so to, to make you feel a little better, there are there's multiple theories of this, right? One theory is that over time, uh, AI gets so good that it can do everything. At which point it relieves a, relieves a, relieves us of having to do things that we don't want to do. But we can still do the things that we want to do. And it might not be economically valued in the same way, but that's you know that's a different that's, a, that's part of the broader equation of figuring out how to fund everybody's existence if work is done by machines. Then there's another theory and approach, which is that the same way that when the railways came, it put a lot of cart rights buggy makers, you know, the people who made whips, the people who bred horses, put them all out of business. But it created far more jobs in that it created people who built the trains, drove the trains, laid the track, built the stations, managed the stations, the guy who was the platform manager, the person who had to work out the timetables, the person who ran the buffet car, you know, ordered all the food. Suddenly you've created way more jobs than you've destroyed. And so that's the other theory is, AI comes in, sweeps away a lot of traditional jobs, enabling humans to add value at an even higher level. Now, the challenge of that is maybe you have to educate people so that they're able to participate in those new jobs. So it becomes an education, upskill, reskill challenge uh, more than a kind of mass malaise challenge. Mm. I mean, and I'm going to go... 
we don't know how it's going to go yet. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to go way out there for a second, right? What if, you know, and maybe we can reel it back to, you know, maybe we can use the speaking profession since it's something that all three of us Mm. share and maybe kind of workshop it and talk about it specifically and maybe look at different scenarios. I think that's a really good idea, Steve, that you brought up before. But what if, what if, for instance, all of the things that, that kids were going to college for right now don't mean anything anymore. Even a surgeon, like if you're a heart surgeon right now, or you're going to college or you're, you know, you are in school to become a heart surgeon, but you know, at some point in AGI, right. This would be kind of Mm -hmm. a robotic version of AI or whatever, a a physical form of, of, of AI and intelligence um, can do it and can probably do it way better than we can. It just leaves a lot of people, even people that haven't, don't even have work yet. It it leaves a lot of people like, ooh, where where do we go? What do we do? It does leave a lot of ambiguous yeah. thoughts, right? It's it's the number what you're poking at is the number one question that I get. Yeah. After I've done my talk and I'm coming off stage and people grab me in the corridors or literally grab me as I come off stage, literally. <laughs> um, grab <it's> amazing. You. <laughs> amazing people will grab me. Um, so don't mind it's fine but uh yeah because they're so enthusiastic about the content and and then the question they have and the question that they have is my kid is about to go to college or my kid has to make these decisions in school or my grandchild what should i tell them what should they do that's the number one question i get number two question is what about terminator but you know the number one (laughs) far is how should i prepare my kids and i tell them you know this this there's some, there's some um, professions I wouldn't recommend any longer. Uh, accountancy is probably going to go be one of the first ones to go, for example. Mm-hmm. But um, things that are physical in nature that require you know, physical manipulation and problem solving, the trades, um, plumbing, electrician, they're going to be around probably for the longest. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. you know, but it is part of the equation that, that kids, parents have to have this conversation now about, What's the best bet? What's going to give me the best longevity in a career? And really the answer I give them is you're probably not going to guess right. So teach your kids to be resilient and agile and flexible and Mm. embrace change and and be teach them to learn constantly and be curious. And that's how they will navigate the world and be most successful. I love that. I love that. I tell you. Curiosity and imagination will never go extinct. Mm-hmm. Never go extinct. You know, Steve, when you mentioned that, and Kathy, your question reminds me of what some of the, or many of the schools are doing now. Um, and I don't know if any school's got a futurist position. That would be interesting for schools to have a futurist position. Um, but some schools are trying to predict what industries will look like five or 10 years down the line so that they can start teaching their children now. But Steve, to your point, even that's kind of hard, right? Because you don't know. It is, but you can make some fairly educated guesses. I do get hired by universities. I get hired by college associations. So they they, they outsource their futurist and bring me and I help them. Um, and I, I try and help them identify what are the skills that they can teach people to give them the best chance of navigating the job market once they pop out the other end. Uh, because over time, you know, AI is, is able to do things now that it wasn't able to do a year ago, and certainly not able to do five years ago. And two years from now, it's gonna be able to do probably some reasoning that it can't do now. So you know, think it's, it's a moving target. Um, the best thing you can teach is resilience, grit, curiosity, right? All of those <laughs> things. And the other thing that I would add to that list and there was a there was a headline in I want to say it was an Atlantic article, and it was back in sort of February March time this year, and it said that the be- the most important skill of the twenty first century is learning how to talk to an AI, mm. because the way that you communicate with an AI mm. determines how good the results are that you get out of it, and being able to partner with a machine. Uh, is a whole new set of skills that we all are going to have to learn. Okay, so Steve was Steve came to our PDX Mastermind group, our speakers group yesterday, and this was a funny topic that came up, Steve. So I'm going to bring it up. 
is somebody in our group said that they found that when they spoke to their, they interacted with AI in more of a polite fashion, mm -hmm. it seemed like he got better output. And, and he asked Steve, am I imagining that or is that a thing? And and Steve, you can say your answer. It, it, yeah, it's a thing. <laughs> it's a thing. It's a thing, yeah. And, and my theory, the reason why is that um, all it's doing is when when it's when these LLMs, large language models, which is all of these AIs like ChatGPT and Bard and so on, when they're operating, I was going to say all they're doing, but it's very sophisticated all. All they're doing is guessing the next word. So based on what you've said, it accurately guesses what the first word it should respond to you is, and then what the next word and what the next word and the next word. Mm. And it's it's really not that sophisticated at the highest level, but the way it's able to accurately figure out what to say to you in response to a question or an inquiry or a prompt is it has to know all of this stuff about the world. And it's been trained on all of this data and a model, which is what an AI is, is, is all of that data kind of compressed down into a neural network. When you prompt it politely, you're nudging it one way or another. Because fundamentally, the model doesn't understand the difference between you requesting it to write a poem, which is a creative task, mm. where it's having to make stuff up, mm. and when you are asking it to give you a factual answer to a question. So that's why you get these things called hallucinations. We'll just make stuff up, and you have to be ready for that. And you know, there's a percentage of the time that will give you a made-up answer. Now, when you ask it politely, and you ask it politely to perhaps check its answers, make sure it's factual, it puts extra effort into that because it's part of the prompt. It responds to those elements and it's trying to make you happy. <laughs> it's trying to fulfill the prompt based on what you've written. So that's why politeness works. And if you just add a little bit like, hey, it's really important to me that I get this right. Can you make sure that you check your answers and they're accurate and you'll get better results? Wow. Get that's out. Right? <laughs> Yeah. So that, that time, so that time, Steve, when I argued with when I argue with ChatGBT because I I said that I was the author of my book that I was looking at and it told me that I wasn't the author. I should I probably yeah. it probably is mad at me now because I argued with it. <laughs> Wait, are you serious? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I actually I actually put in who wrote this book, although I wrote the book, right? And then it said that it was somebody else, and I was like. No, I said, no, it's, it was by Kathy Armias. And then it said, Kathy Armias is an international speaker and marketer and speaking coach, but is not the author of this book. <laughs> like literally even like, like double down on me, Steve. And I was like, check your, check your shit. Like she is. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm going to go back and say, sorry. <laughs> no, it's, I, it, it's, I'm curious were you, was it with chat gpt 3.5 or no it was the, it was the earlier version so Early it, might been, yeah. Yeah. it might have it right now yeah it might I'm, I'm gonna check now and i'm gonna be polite i'm gonna actually get yeah. i'm gonna test it it's gonna be my my takeaway you know no, go ahead, no i was just gonna say just moving the conversation to the speaking and mark i know your your brain is just throwing all these fireworks all over the place i can see it I, I'm curious how, you know, all of us as speakers, like I, even because I'm imagining, Steve, if one of the things that Mark and I, I think we both do really well in, in what we do, and we're about to launch a business, by the way, on training speakers to be better, mm -hmm. you know, and, and so, you know, let's, let's kind of talk that through. It's like, but there's going to be a day coming pretty soon where, you know, the artificial intelligence will not only be able to probably predict some of the things better than we could or say you know we we think our uniqueness is going to be you know our experience and our uniqueness but ai will have collectively the whole world's worth of experience not just my own or marks or i don't know, let's let's talk yes about but <clears throat> if you're in hospital and you're in trouble and you know you're having some tests done do you want a robot to come in and hold your hand and tell you you have stage four liver cancer mm. you want to be a human doctor i think we're always going to want human connection for some of the things in our lives not all 
But for the things that are important, there will be a difference. And we will want, we will want to hear, even if, the, even if an AI doctor is significantly more capable than a human doctor, I would like an AI doctor and a human doctor to be a team of two and work together to figure it out. But I want the human doctor to talk to me. And I think the same is true of other communication interactions. Do I want a, a next generation Optimus robot from Tesla to come out and present to me on how to present? No, <laughs> absolutely not. I want a human connection. So I think I did some work with the mortgage industry about four or five years ago. And we were talking about blockchain disrupting the mortgage sector and it's disrupted part of it and you see rocket mortgage coming in and but all the mortgage brokers were really worried and one of the worries was well amazon's going to get into the mortgage business they haven't yet and they said what should we do steve what should we do well double down on you, your humanity and focus on wacd what amazon can't do <laughs> which is building, building rapport you know face-to-face -face <laughs> contact with your clients um, human connection, you know, figuring, knowing the names of their kids and, you know, build those connections. Mm. Um, if, if you're a speaker, you know, the first thing I do when I, when I get hired by a client is get to learn everything I can about that client. What are their expectations? What are people in the audience worried about? And make sure I connect with them on a human level, because that's what speakers, that, that's what will keep people hiring speakers and not hiring an AI to teach them on an online class on a Zoom like this, right? Steve, here's what scares me. I'm going to keep using this word scares because I think that's such a human word. And I, I love the phrase double down on, you, on your humanity. I really wrote that down. What worries me is the potential of engineers trying to figure out how to get AI to double down on its humanity. I, I heard somebody recently ask the question, how can we get, how can we create an app that can show human empathy? And so it's, it's always interesting, like our human minds are incredible and we're so incredibly curious that it's like we're always trying to figure out the next thing. Mm -hmm. And so it worries me that, and let's talk about speaking for a moment. Yes. Right now, if I put a topic into to let's say chat GPT, it'll probably spit out something that sounds more like an essay than a speech. That sounds more like information, but doesn't have my flair or your flair or Kathy's flair. Five, 10, 15 years from now, will that be a concern for us? That AI can they could take every word in Kathy's biography, figure out her whole life, and then her personality can come out. Maybe that's Terminator. <laughs> well, or, or maybe it's a new business model that allows you to be on 17 stages at one time. Mm. Right? Don't think about being replaced. Think about it as a tool, a way to clone yourself and make more money um check out there's, there's a video i don't know if you share links uh, with your podcast but um you can just google this on youtube um peter diamandis who is you know at the forefront of thinking on these things um he and i had a book come out at the same time almost about exactly the same topics so we think in a lot of the same ways um he did a a, a video a few months back you just have to look up um, peter diamandis peter bot and he um, worked with his AI partner, who happens to also have the name Steve Brown, different Steve Brown. <laughs> and they created this avatar. It looks like Peter Diamandis. It sounds like Peter Diamandis. And this large language model behind this avatar was trained on all of Peter's speeches, all of the books he's written, and all ingested. And he was able to have a conversation with himself. <laughs> and... You know, the Peter bot didn't get everything right, didn't answer everything the way that Peter Diamandis would in person, but it was, you know, a fair facsimile given it's 2023. So to your point, Mark, play that forward 10 years. Yeah, there's a good chance you could create a version of yourself, a surrogate that you could send out for clients who 
aren't willing to pay the fee to have you fly there in person. They'd love to have you there in person, but they can't afford to, or it's in a different part of the world and you're going to be asleep then. So you just send them the digital you and it represents you and they pay you a fee and everybody's happy. Mm. Man, you just blew my mind. You went from, you went from Terminator to Max Headroom. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no kidding. Max Headroom, oh my gosh, I remember that. Wow. It, there's so many complexities in that, of course, and I don't want to get too caught up in the, the tech detail. By the way, anybody watching, like Steve Brown did a presentation to our group yesterday. Just the way that he explained it all and the way he brought it all together and showed us some really cool, I don't want to give away the things in your presentation, Steve, but showed us some really cool videos and things that were like very mind blowing, super good presentation on AI. Thank you. And how we can all lean into it. So if you're looking for somebody to come into your organization, Steve Brown's your guy for sure. Um, but Steve, I know it gets really complex too, because then you're talking about, I mean, and I don't want to go deep down that rabbit hole, right? I, I don't think, but you know, you have a digital version of yourself, but yet the common version of somebody saying, Hey, I want a speaker coach, but I can't really afford to pay for the human one. And I just, I'm just going to put some things into chat GBT or whatever version of tech that's out there at the moment. Mm -hmm. And now that has pieces of Kathy Armias in it, Steve Brown, Mark Williams. It has kind of everybody in it. So you're not going to get the flavor of one of us. You're going to get the right. conglomerate of all of us. And, and then it gets, starts getting in that space of like, you can use somebody's voice. You can like, and so we have to like own, and, and I think that's where you were heading, right? We have to own all of the the things that belong to us, our digital image, our, our, yeah. our face. Our... Anytime a new technology comes along, there typically has to be a new business model that comes behind it to make it work for everybody. Mm. So when you think about what happened with the Hollywood strike, right? They, Hollywood realized, oh crap, um, you know, our writers and our actors and all the production staff are at risk here. Things are going to change and they are going to change. You know, there's way too much cost involved in making productions today. They are ridiculously expensive. Um, there's far too many people involved in making all of them. And there is a global market and a lot of translation that has to happen. Um, and so I think AI is going to come in and completely disrupt that marketplace. But what they had to do to get people off strike and to come back is to, and I don't know the details of what they what they agreed, but I assume there's some business model in there that says, you know, who owns your likeness? How does the money flow if your likeness is used and you can license it? Um, what control is there over that? Um, what's the remuneration look like? You know, and people make their own decisions. Grimes came right out with when uh, people were starting to make new music and said, you use my voice, you make whatever you want, just cut me in 50-50. Mm -hmm. Dolly Parton is on the other end of the scale. Dolly Parton, she's very clear. Once Dolly's gone, there's no more Dolly music. That's it. Now, I don't want my voice to be reproduced. That's it. And that's her right, and that's great. But I think with all of these things, yes, business models will come behind the technology uh, to make sure that people get paid for their contributions. Mm -hmm. And you're seeing it already with, you know, um, Adobe and Getty Images. They're creating their own image generators that are, you know, they have licensed all of the content that's used to train them so that the people who whose content was used to train these AIs are getting a little something for it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I saw I saw a very funny um, little clip of Weird Al Yankovic. We all know, you know, and... <laughs> He was riffing on uh, on Spotify and he did this funny little thing and he just said, thank you to all my million. And I forgot how many millions he's, I think it was like, there was 60 million or 120 million. I forgot what ex the exact number that he said in the little video he said, thank yeah. you. Because from, you know, the information I've received, there's been like 120 million downloads of my, of my songs and my work. Thank you to everybody. My cut into it is $12. So thank you to all my fans for yeah. a nice sandwich like he like <laughs> so obviously he was making fun of like this technology yeah. had had 
had utilized his work and and not given him him a cut or whatever. So you're right. There's mm-hmm. I think we're in the middle of that space of where we're all gonna yeah. have to figure out how to capitalize on it, how to protect, how to, you know, how to do it all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was gonna say how to partner with it. Yeah, how to partner yeah. with it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, how do you stay ahead of it? I mean, the people who who are making the most money in music today are the ones who do tours. You know, the Taylor Swifts of the world, the Depeche Mode, the U2s at the Sphere, right? They figured out a while ago that money is going out of record sales. Listen to me, record sales. (laughs) (laughs) Shut your mouth, Steve. Shut your mouth. (laughs) Steve. I was a DJ back in the 80s when I had it. So I remember I used to spin a lot of records. I I stream like crazy now, but uh, yeah. So, but... You know, let's say traditional music sales and moving to streaming, they realize there's not going to be much money in that market. And because, you know, the, you can imagine it like a balloon and, you know, you squeeze the balloon and all the money goes to one end and away from the artists, um, unfortunately. So they figured out it's going to be a touring business and that's how people make money now. You know, the, they, the, the streaming, you release on streaming in order to get people to come out and see you and to do an in-person appearance. And that's why ticket prices went shooting up. Mm, that oh yeah that's true they have shot up dramatically lot, ever since streaming right the last 10 years yeah that's true and i didn't really think about the correlation of that that's very mm-hmm. interesting that's why you know that's a good point steve I, I think you're bringing up some really good analogies to like if i think about it now if if it it angers some people of course that have been in the music industry that did it in a different way that they're now not able to make money the same way. And so the people that would stay angry and just be pounding their fist about like, hey, how come it's not how it used to be are probably the ones that will get left behind. The ones like the U2s, the Taylor Swifts, the Depeche Mode that you're talking about that are like, hey, I'm okay, all right, I get it. I'm gonna put a bunch of stuff out into the world. I wanna stream, 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 go viral, whatever. And then when I show up, oh, money. Mm-hmm. You know. The problem is so, you, you can't all be Taylor Swift, right? Yeah, that is There's that not, is a that is a problem. <laughs> Steve, it's I want to be Taylor Swift. You yeah. could, Mark, you could be. I didn't say everybody could be, but Mark <laughs> could be. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know yeah, what it reminds me of? Um, if, if the two of you are probably familiar with the Kodak story. I mean, that that Kodak, right, did not went out of business because it did not want to accept that there was going to be the digital. And Steve, to your point, it's the same and, thing. I remember you know who much... built the first, you know, who built the, who built the first digital camera? Kodak. Yeah. They just put it to one side. Wow. Yeah. They're like, we don't want the world to have this technology. <laughs> well, it was, I think partly it was the innovator's dilemma. You know, if we come out with this digital, then, you know, it will destroy all of our chemical business. But I think it was also they couldn't see the curve, which was, well, it's really crappy quality now, but over a few successive generations, it'll get to be amazing quality and we'll displace right. what we do. So anyway, sorry, Mike, I, I interrupted you. Go ahead. Well, actually, no, you you just spurred another thought. It's like we keep going through this. We keep going through these major changes and we keep getting uncomfortable with it. How yeah. come we're not learning from Remember how everybody fought against streaming music? Um, you know, there were all kinds of bands, you know, LimeWire, all these different, I, I just really aged myself with LimeWire. But in any case- And LimeWire like, was not even so, the first. <laughs> that's right, it wasn't even. But we keep getting in this, this cycle of, we're fighting mm. advancement only to see that we've figured out how to get ahead of it. And yet we still, every time a new turn comes, we keep getting uncomfortable with yeah. it. Well, there are people who stand to make money by keeping things the old way as long as possible. So they are motivated to slow things down. And then there are other people who figure out how to get ahead of it and make money in the new world by being there first. And and they fall into two camps and that's natural. And then there's everybody gets caught in between, but there'll always be people who, you know, there's money to keep things the way they were. I mean, the studios right now, the Hollywood studios, they want to keep production the way it is because that's how they make money. But, you know, when you can do digital sets and digital performances 
Um, and certainly you can take content from other countries and translate it from Korean to English and French and Arabic and whatever language you want and lip sync the mouth. So it looks like those people are speaking natively. Suddenly you have a lot of content uh, from all over the world that you can now enjoy in 250 languages. So it's going to change, um, but there'll be people who want to slow things down. That's one of the things I really enjoy from listening to you, Steve, is you, you, you give so many instances and examples of where people are doing things or the possibility of things that it starts to make your creative mind go. Like I, I, I didn't ask you about it yesterday, but one of the things I was thinking about, I, somebody in my family turned um, me and my husband onto the show, The Extraordinary Attorney Wu, and it's a Korean show that they have. And I, I mean, I watched it and you're right. This is probably what 2022 version or whenever it came out and, and you're looking at it and it's all in Korean, but then they're doing it in English and you're looking and you're like, it's not quite right, but it's right. 80% there. So I'm curious. I wonder what, what technology they use. I don't know what they use. And I don't know if you know anything about that, but it doesn't matter. Sure. Obviously there's some technology that they use to do the dub over. And at some point it will be. Yeah, check out, it's a company called Flawless. Mm -hmm. Flawless, I should say in my best American accent. So. Flawless. Flawless. <laughs> um, and, watch it, uh, Steve, watch it. Yeah. Well, sometimes I say things and people are like, I, got, I always have to go bald, I'm bald. Yeah. Think, oh, you're bald? Yeah, Just, yeah. I, I have no hair. <laughs> yeah, or if, I, if I ask for a glass of water on the plane, all the time, the flight attendant will go, excuse me? And eventually I break down and go, can I have some water? Oh, water. Oh, oh, water. Anyway, I don't so, have yeah, water. I've learned that there's certain words I have to say in American or people don't quite hear them right. So Flawless um, is a company, they did a demo and there's a video on YouTube. I think it's, um, I think it was at a Bloomberg event and they do a live demo, re-editing a piece of content. And they're able to edit the video to instantly create, if you've got an NC-17 film where people are swearing up a storm, you want to create the PG-13 version, you can just change a few of the swear words or take them out completely for a PG. Mm -hmm. um, and if you want to re-edit a scene, they even showed a capability where um, on the timeline of the video edit, it pulls out the dialogue on each of the clips in the, in the timeline. And then you're able to go in and edit the clip. So change the dialogue and it will re-record the voice in the actor's tone and voice and recapture that performance and re-sync the lips. Mm. And it does it like that. It's amazing. It re renders quite quickly. And they've built in a permission management system so that when they make that change, it sends that performance, the edited performance, to the phone of the actor. The actor can then review that and say, yep, that looks okay, fine. And of course they get paid for that little change. Mm -hmm. um, or they can say, no, I don't like that, the way you've edited that performance. As the director, I understand you want me to say that line differently. Let me re-record it. Re-record re it onto the phone. Boom, goes back into the system, done. It's mm -hmm. amazing. That is amazing. So things are yeah. gonna change and it's gonna change everywhere, not just you know, in production or speaking. Wow. Mark, so, go ahead, no, Kathy. No, go ahead, Mark. Go ahead. Go ahead. I wanted to ask you a question, but go ahead first. Um, I, I actually thought about a question that was asked even before we got started, which was when you consider the examples you just gave, the question we, we threw out was what would an AI assistant look like mm. in the speaking world? And, and I'm curious, yeah. Steve, about your thoughts. And then, Kathy, I want to hear your question. Yeah. For me, I mean, I want an assistant that does all the things I don't want to do or to help me do the things that I do well, even better. So the things I would like help, I'd like an AI assistant that can go and help market me, that mm. can um, do all my contracts for me and do all the back and forth with people who are booking my time and ask all the questions so that they can prep for me um, a sheet that they give to me and just says, here's your client that you're gonna do next week. Here's all the background that I've done, all this research on the company for you to prep you, be really successful. And I also want an assistant that can help me create my content. You know, I love, I, I'm, 
I love PowerPoint. It's really freakishly um, bad. <laughs> I love it so much. But I love playing with PowerPoint and making my visuals absolutely beautiful. I, and I really put a lot of time, effort into that so that they just look really great. But having an assistant to help me do that more effectively would be fantastic. So those are the things I would most want. And you know, probably a travel assistant that goes and books all my travel, understands all of my preferences, um, what where in the plane I want to sit, which airports I don't like connecting through, that sort of thing. Um, so just like a human assistant that I would have do that, but an AI. Mm. What about you? What, what would you like out of a speaking assistant? All of that and somebody to do my tax preparation. I don't want to deal with all <laughs> that, right? Like, I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, yes. Yeah, there's a, you're right. I mean, when you start thinking about the possibilities of all the things, I love how you framed it all the things you don't want to do. There's so many things. I I love, yeah. I love creating stuff and like, for instance, into books, but I, I like speaking more than I like writing. So if an AI assistant knew my voice, my tone, and I could create something by giving kind of an outline or saying, I want this, and it would come out in my voice and the way I would say it, that would be amazing. We're pretty close to that. AI yeah. goes later. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> Seems like two years from now, people look at this, what we're saying right here, and be like, when Done. was this yeah. recorded in like 1990? Like, what is this? <laughs> <laughs> um, Steve, I love speaking and I love coaching, right? Mm -hmm. But they some they they often say, you know, you can't forget the sales part of this, you know, you can't forget the business part of this. Right. And that's the part that sometimes sucks the fun out of it sometimes, right? Mm -hmm. And it's like, oh, if I could have an AI who did all of the business part, like, or or even if you're organizing an event, it's like, I just want to go up there and talk. I don't want to organize the event and figure out all those details. Somebody do it for me. <laughs> yeah. Totally. Yeah. That's what I would love to have an AI system. And one of the categories of AIs that we'll see fairly soon, I think, is a set of coaches. So a business coach for speakers to help them develop their business, help them figure out ways to reach new audiences, to expand you know, beyond kind of organic growth, um, to do analysis over best use of marketing funds, for example. I think that's very likely in the next few years. Mm -hmm. Entrepreneurial coaches. Um, yeah. All of the above. You know, you inspired me to write down earlier. Um, it's not about being replaceable. It's about being scalable. Mm -hmm. um, and 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 that's that's one of the big things that I'm really taking away from this. Um, I got another question, but Kathy, I wanted to hear your question first. Yeah, no, I just I started thinking about I started thinking about our business and what we do. And Mark, you're such a personable person. I my question to you was going to be, how do you how much do you think you would remove yourself out of this? That's what I was going to ask you. It's like uh, how much, you know, and, and I think you kind of almost answered it now. You'd like, I want to go on stages and still speak. Right. Or I want to, and, and I can't even see you wanting, like, I know one of the things that you love is this interaction with people, you know, if you could just go into full blown retirement mode, would you, or what would it look? I don't know. I was just trying to see you future casting to see like what, if you could just snap your fingers and do it, what would you, what would that look like for you, Mark? Um, here's my answer. It's going to sound real strange, but my answer is yabba dabba do. Okay. <laughs> All right. So I was a huge Flintstones fan. <laughs> and there was this one episode, I think Fred went to like outer space or whatever. And, and they, they multiplied him thousands and thousands and thousands of times. And all of his um, multiplied, you know, I don't know what they were, robots, Andrew, whatever they were. They could only say one thing, yabba dabba do. That was it. That, that's that that was it. That was <laughs> but ultimately he had all of these versions that would go out there. And Steve, I'm going back to what you're saying. Like, oh, uh, if I could just get in front of a couple of audiences and have my yabba dabba do drones or or or, or whatever androids mm -hmm. out there in the rest of the world on the six yeah. continents, ah, oh, that would be cool. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Steve, what about you? The same question. Like what 
but like you love to give this presentation you were saying that you yeah i love speaking I, I love inspiring and, and and informing audiences that's that's what i live for make mm -hmm. that connection when i look out in the audience and i see a penny drop or you know i've been watching mark today and like i can see his brains going and I'm like yes this is what i live for i love doing that and that's i probably could retire now um but I, I keep doing what I do because I love it. And I think the message I have is so important for people to know because everybody wants to know about AI. They're all a bit scared of it. Um, there's things we should be scared of and we should be cautious about, but there's so much potential to do good. And that's when I think about my own personal mission, it is to help people build a better future. That's, that's kind of my mission statement, personal mission statement. And AI is the most powerful tool out there to help people build a better future. And in, in the medical world, that's going to be, you know, scientific breakthroughs with protein folding and drug discovery and that sort of thing. On engineering, it's going to be creating new chips and uh, designing new materials, new crystalline structures. DeepMind just, you know, announced that they 10X'd the known number of stable compounds last week with their GNOME AI. You know, wow. it's, it's happening so quickly. So. I, yeah, I'm I'm super, as you can tell, I'm super passionate about this stuff. And I love to inspire audiences to get beyond the fear and find their curiosity and ask questions like, how could we dot, dot, dot mm. using AI? That's, that's, yeah, I love it. I love it. You know, Steve, I share that passion. And I think the reason why I joked about, you know, my, my Yabba Dabba Doo clone or my Mark Williams clone is because on the flip side, if I could have the opportunity to go to, out to as many audiences as I could, but to have my AI digital version go out to others, that would allow me to take all of that extra time and pour it back into my family, into everything else. You know, and isn't that often the human conflict that as we find what we absolutely are passionate about doing, that we could do 24 hours a day. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we take a time away from other things that we enjoy. Yeah. This is what partnering up with AI could allow. It just gives, it gives you more choice, right? To decide what to do. I, I guess the other reason I would use a, a surrogate AI, a delegate to go to an event and, and appear on my behalf, if the client was okay with that, would be, so I didn't disappoint an audience. Um, you know, if I get stuck in an airport in a snowstorm or I'm already booked that day. I mean, this happens a lot, as you know, you're booked it one day and then a client comes in and says, hey, are you available? Uh, I'm already booked. I'm so sorry. Could we do it a different day? No, that's the date of the event. And so, you know, you miss one, you miss out on some business, but two, you're disappointing an audience. So I'd love to be able to have that flexibility to send a digital surrogate as a backup plan. Oof. You just you just hit a nerve with me, Steve. I I have a, a potential new client that will probably yield a lot of good big business, and the first thing that they're trying to come up cr with creative ways to kind of like yeah. start forging a relationship, and the first thing that they came up with was a date that I'm going to be in London, and, and this is already an existing big client. So I'm like, oh, I can't, I can't, and it it hurts to say it out loud. So yeah, I that. That's such an interesting possibility. I wonder yeah. on the social end too, Mark and Steve, like how how good would our, you know, I, I think we were talking about this on another show, right? Family plus time equals conflict or people plus mm -hmm. time equals conflict. And we were talking about this on another show. I wonder how much our, our relationships will change and evolve as we've had more time. Because you just said it, Steve, it's a choice. And so- mm -hmm the choice might be to pick up another sport. Like I like to play pickleball, but maybe I could do pickleball and soccer or, you know, whatever, like you have more time, you know, I don't know. It's just interesting. It is very interesting to think how you would create your life given way more choice, I would say. Yeah. And could we imagine an AI that would coach us and help us to form more meaningful, stronger relationships, mm. whether that's a romantic relationship or a work relationship or a friend relationship you know one of the, the the types of assistance that i've imagined is for people who are on the spectrum and maybe have low eq they don't pick up on some of those signals you can get them in real trouble 
they don't they can't tell whether someone is enthusiastic or angry with them or whatever it might be so to have a coach that can sort of whisper in their ear and just help them stay grounded and focused and and coach them on the conversation you know that's one example of bringing somebody who has a deficit versus the average human and help to bring them up so that they can navigate that world more effectively but you can imagine taking it for an average person and sort of supersizing their EQ and helping to coach them on being a more empathetic person or a more persuasive person or whatever it might be um sort of a, a, a human skills and communication skills coach and I absolutely can imagine something like that in the next five to ten years you know what I, you know what I love about that, Kathy. You were talking about, and and Steve, you were talking about. Oh, if I can't make this event, right? And then I think about people that I've coached, um, who are in leadership positions, supervising a whole bunch of people. And I remember getting an an, an emergency call, right? Like, I can't wait till that session because something is happening right now. Mm. But what if I'm not available? But to be able to have that AI surrogate coach who could be there at the times when I couldn't, that's powerful because people, you know, we don't want to always be accessible 24 hours a day, right? And I feel that we've gotten into that. You know, you got to check email all 24. But to be able to have something that, again, gives you that flexibility, gives you that choice, makes you available um, even when you're sleeping or with family so that you can still be there for other people. That's powerful. Yeah. And it's, it's certainly, even if it's not as good as in person, it's better than voicemail. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> Steve, I really need you. Where are you? Right? Burn Terminator off and stop Steve. watching that movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love this one. My husband wanted me to go with him to see a comedian that I don't, we love comedy and we love to watch stand-up comedy. And I didn't like this particular one. I could just send my digital version or my assistant on a date with my husband. <laughs> you better stop. I better stop. I should probably stop. I'm getting into like, I'm getting into like Terminator and stuff, but I'm like, I don't want to see all that, but you know. <laughs> I want you to experience the full, you know, experience with Kathy. <laughs> yeah. Although that that probably would stop a lot of fights on on, on Thanksgiving or Super Bowl Sunday. Ah, uh, turn the game off. I don't have to turn the game off. I'll send my AI over in the kitchen with you in the other room. <laughs> they can be up to date on the on the football scores. Yes, yes, yes. Let's not take it that far, y'all. Let's not take it. Yeah, that. yeah. <laughs> Love it. Um, I wanted to start to, to wrap, but uh, Steve, you said something earlier that I just, even if we don't get to discuss it full out, you talked about the importance of teaching resilience, grit, and curiosity. Mm -hmm. and, and I'm just curious. I'd love to hear from you. How do you teach curiosity? question um and i'm not a teacher so i i think um i when i interact with my nieces and nephews i don't have children um when i talk with people i just try and get them hooked with fresh ideas and try and make those ideas concrete by backing them up with examples to just try and snare their curiosity yeah I, I i think it's something you fuel by practicing it's like a muscle right if you use it you're gonna build it and use it more so i think it's being presented information that you find interesting in a way that you can consume and find interesting so that's probably the best answer i have but i'm yeah i, I would talk to a teacher rather than me <laughs> mm. yeah. I think that's a great answer, Steve. I think it's a really good answer. I pulled it and out of my ass. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you are a great teacher, by the way. That is not true what you're saying. You really oh, are. Um, yeah. I don't that's a good question though, Mark. I like it. Well, I, I just I, I wanted to ask you because I think it's really important. I mean, at the end of the day, we're talking about the future and people get very scared and uncomfortable and anxious about the future. And one thing that I've ultimately heard is 
one thing that's going to keep us afloat and keep us ahead is curiosity. Curiosity around how to scale, curiosity around how to partner, curiosity around how to just do things differently, right? And to adjust. And so I think that was a really important thing that you said that I wanted to make sure that everybody who's watching, listening hears that curiosity is 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 key. So we have to learn how to continue to teach it. Yeah. And I'd add on top of that, it's not only important for kids, it is important for all of us. If we want to maintain relevance in the workplace, we're going to have to work with these machines to help elevate our skills and our capabilities and help us improve our productivity, our effectiveness, the quality of our output, and so on. And that means you have to be curious. You have to try out these new tools, see how they work, see what works in your workflows. And there's tons of stuff for speakers already. Now, all of the backgrounds for my slides, all of the images in my slides are AI generated. I make them with an AI. I don't find them on Getty Images anymore. Um, there are slide making AIs out there. There are transcription AIs out there. All these things that are relevant to speakers. But in order to find them out and try them, you have to be curious. And there, there was a there's a great adage, um, which I think is so true, which is an AI will not take your job but somebody using an AI probably will. Mm. So make sure that person is you taking someone else's job, not someone else taking your job. Mm. I love that. Yeah, I love that too. Kathy, you and I could probably figure out a way to, to AI. It's about to go down, mm. um, but I never want to replace you. I Aww. never want to replace same, you. Same, Mark, no. same. No. I'll always bring my real version here. Absolutely, absolutely. But then we'll get distribution and have AI do it in China and everywhere else across the world. <laughs> totally, because I can't speak Chinese right now. So I, I agree. Like, yes, I agree with that. I love it. Oh, Steve, this has been such a fun conversation. Um, yeah, tell us, since since we started this conversation, and you are the expert, I, 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 I don't know if we have anything to add to your brilliance. Um, but with that said, what has kind of stood out to you or, or blown up in your head since we started this conversation? I think it's the, there's the inevitability of what's coming, mm -hmm. but also the, the, to, to best navigate that course, whatever the course is ahead. And there's all this possibility that's gonna open up for us all. Um, with this you know, abundantly available intelligence technology. Um, the best way to navigate through that is to maintain a good firm grasp on our own humanity and to use these technologies to amplify and elevate that humanity. Um, you know, don't worry about being replaced. Um, yeah, worry a little bit. To give you, if, if you need that, to, if you don't have enough curiosity to drive you forward, then maybe a bit of fear will get you going. But, um, you know, use that curiosity, use the, the reserves of curiosity you have to, to embrace this stuff because it's going to make life way more fun. Because uh, mm -hmm. to your point, Kathy, it's going to let you offload all the stuff you don't want to do and help you be better at the stuff you do love doing. You know, and for, and for all of us, probably many of the people watching this, you know, the time where we feel the universe flowing through us is when we're on stage, making people happy, you know, learning something, um, giving them something to think about for weeks or months afterwards, right? That's what we live for. Um, let's figure out ways to use technology to help us do more of that and to do it even better for our audiences, to serve our audiences better. So that's what I took away from this is, is that conversation we had about humanity at the core and then it's about amplification, scaling, elevation of humanity so that we can do more. Mm, love that. Right. right. Use technology to elevate humanity. Mm. Beautifully put. Beautifully put. Steve, if anybody wants to, and if everybody wants to find out more about you, the work you do, how they can bring you in to talk, to talk them through this, how do they find you? How do they get in touch with you? Super easy, stevebrown.ai. Mm. Easy, easy URL. Uh, they'll take to my website. You can see the kind of stuff I do. You can reach out to me through the website or you can email me direct, steve at bald, 
baldfuturist.com. <laughs> I'd love to hear from you. Bald, yeah. no hair. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Awesome. Awesome. Well, listen, you heard it here. There's nothing to be afraid of, or if you're going to be afraid, use it as motivation. Use your curiosity as motivation. It's coming. It's the future, and we can definitely get ahead of it. If anybody wants to get ahead of the next thing that's happening in the world, which is the idea that's cooking up in your head, or if you know somebody who's got an idea cooking up in their head and they want to have a conversation with Kathy and I, I love to tell you to go to it's about to go down show dot AI, but we don't have that email address yet. <laughs> not yet, not yet. <laughs> but you can go to it's about to go down show um, and, and get in touch with us. We'd love to have a conversation with you. Steve, thank you so much for blowing up our minds um, and having this wonderful idea conversation. You definitely took us to the future. We look forward to having future conversations with you. To everybody else, thank you for joining us for another episode. Kathy, I love you, girl. I love you, girl. I love you. I love you, Mark. (laughs) And I hope you enjoyed this episode of It's About to Go Down.